come to church and uh, come with fellow believers. Um, today I'll be covering uh, the passage from Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 42. And this is a very eventful passage with many great lessons. And today, I really want to focus on the primary goal of the church. A common problem of the church today is its lack of focus on mission. People from around the world may think that the church's primary mission may be to help the poor and downtrodden or act as a political force to help change culture in the community. And these are good things, but on a more biblical note, the church's goal is to mature saints through preaching the word, fellowship, and discipleship. And another important goal is to meet together like we are here together as a congregation to praise and worship God. And these are all very important goals and should mark every church. But none of these goals is the primary goal here on earth. So then you may ask, what is the primary goal of the church? Well, Jesus answered that question in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Brothers and sisters, the church's primary goal is evangelism. Evangelism is the act of preaching the gospel with the intention of sharing the message and teachings of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. And we are meant to continue this work begun by Jesus, whose mission, as stated in Luke 19.10, was to seek and save that which was lost. This is the only duty of the church that can't be better done in heaven. Now, the early church understood its purpose very clearly. The believers never lost sight of their calling to be Christ's witnesses both in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the world. And their zeal and effectiveness resulted in explosive growth. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, There were added that day 3,000 souls. Then by the end of Peter's second sermon, the church's strength had risen to 5,000. From that time on, the church grew too rapidly. And by Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it speaks of multitudes of men and women all being added to the church. Now, what did the church do to contribute to this remarkable growth, despite opposition they faced from the Jewish authorities? Well, this passage in Acts chapter 5, verse 12 to 42, I'll be covering today, shows four key, keys to effective evangelism in the early church. That is purity, power, persecution, and persistence. These are the four keys that helped the apostles have effective evangelism in the church. Let's start with purity. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And when they were all together in Solomon's portico, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women. 
I want you to focus on verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Isn't that odd? People thought highly of the church, yet none of them wanted to associate with the believers. What this tells me is that they feared that their sin would be severely judged. Let's remember in the passage covered by Nick two weeks ago, the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira was a harsh judgment, and it kept the half-hearted from joining the church. The practice of sternly dealing with sin helps maintain a pure church. People do not rush to join a church that will expose their sin. Thus, discipline is, a key, is key to evangelism because it purifies the church and keeps the shallow and merely curious away. Now, I want to talk about holding on to sin. In Matthew 10, verses 32 to 39, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are some strong verses that tell me that Jesus wants our total commitment from his believers. Only those who are willing to forsake all, including sin, and lose their lives in submission to him, are worthy to be his followers. And a church made up of such people will be a pure church, a powerful testimony to the world. Brothers and sisters, we all still sin. No one here is perfect. But when you do sin, confess it to the Lord and take actionable steps to remove that sin from your life. If we take it to God, He can do wonders in our life. Remember, brothers and sisters, if there is a will, there is a way. And if there is a will for us to be pure, there is a way also for us to be pure. Next, I want to focus on the importance of purity. To be useful to the Lord, an individual must be pure. And that goes for the church collectively as well. The only way a church can reach out to the world is by remaining pure. And we clearly saw in the first 12 verses of chapter 5 how, God, how much God values purity through the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira. That harsh judgment kept those who loved their sin away, but those who wanted their forgiveness from sin near. Men may build their churches with tolerance for sin, but the Lord builds his church among people who love holiness and hate and expose sin. Remember, brothers and sisters, you are God's sword, his instrument, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be its success. It is not great talents that God blesses, but how closely we imitate Jesus, who is perfect and pure. The next key to effective evangelism that we see in Acts chapter 5 is power. 
And there is a lot of power in the miracles done. Let's read uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 12, and then 15 and 16. Acts chapter 5, verses 12. Now, many signs and wonders were done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles. Verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. Then, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, we know that the early church was growing because it was a pure church, and it was a clean channel through which God's power could flow. Signs and wonders were designed for two things. Number one, to point men to the truth. And they also confirmed the apostles' claim to be God's messengers. With the passing of the apostles from the scene, the need for miracles vanished. And they were a unique ministry of the apostles. Luke carefully notes that at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place. But we need to remember that the early church was not a miracle-working church. It was a church filled with miracle-working apostles. And the apostles' healing ministry was so powerful that people even carried the sick onto the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. Cots refer to beds that the rich used to use, versus pallets used to des describe straw mattresses that the poor had. This means that both the rich and the poor both sought healing from the apostles. Everyone was so aware of the apostles' healing power that they hoped that even when Peter passed by, maybe his shadow would fall on them and heal them. Now, the Bible never says that this was the case, his shadow could heal them, but just the fact that so much healing was being done that they believed even his shadow could heal them. Now, the apostles' healing was not just limited to Jerusalem, but it was happening in the surrounding cities. Everyone was bringing the sick or people afflicted by unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. They were, they were beginning to fulfill the Lord's charge to witness not only in Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. The next key of evangelism that helped the disciples grow the early church was persecution. We'll see that in Acts chapter 5, verses 17 to 22. Verses 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they returned and reported. The power and effectiveness of the church resulted in harsh opposition. The high priest rose up along with all his associates and they were filled with jealousy because of the church's popularity and influence. 
We remember while the Pharisees led the opposition against Jesus in the Gospels, the Sadducees were the chief opponents of the early church. And the Sadducees were jealous for a few reasons. Number one, the new religious sect, Christianity, that started in Jerusalem was the very seat of their power. And it was eroding their hold on the people. What they could not tolerate about the church was that Christians believed that Jesus, the very man they had murdered, was alive from the dead. And they don't believe in resurrection. Secondly, Jesus was the power behind all these miracles. The Sadducees don't believe in miracles. There was also danger that this turmoil in the city would cause the Romans to take action. So they laid hands on these apostles, all 12, and put them in jail. An angel of the Lord during the night opened the gates and freed the apostles. God's use of using an angel to free them is really ironic because the Sadducees also deny the existence of angels. After releasing them, the angel commanded them to go their, to go, to go their way, to stand and speak to the people the whole, the whole message of life, which is the gospel. Although the angel's command may have seemed a bit reckless, the apostles did not argue. And as soon as the sun rose the next day, they were there, back at the temple, and began to preach and teach. Before the Sadducees were even aware that they had been released, they were back preaching. They chose to boldly obey and to leave the consequences to God. The high priest and his associates had gathered to decide what to do about these prisoners. So they sent the temple guard to go and bring them before them. And But when the officers came to the prison, they found the prison doors locked very tightly. And when they opened it up, they found no one inside. The prisoners were gone. A pure and powerful church will inevitably, inevitably provoke a hostile reaction from the world. Paul wrote to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. And reflecting on the persecution he had faced in ministry, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 verse 20, if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. 1 Peter 3 verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. 1 Peter 4 verse 14, if you are reviled in the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said in Matthew 5 verses 10 to 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Next, the, the next key for evangelism is persistence. And we see that in Acts chapter 5, verses 23 to 32. Verse 23, so continuing on from when the 
temple guards saw that the prisoners were not there, they came and reported to the Sadducees. And they said, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they had set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you are, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Strong words. When the chief priests heard that the apostles were not in prison, they were shocked. Some came and reported to them that the people were standing in the temple and teaching. So had the apostles gone into hiding after their escape, that would have been bad enough for the Sadducees. Well, they had the audacity to go right back into the temple and resume preaching. That was the ultimate act of defiance. Brothers and sisters, that is what persistence is. The apostles were persistent in the Lord's command. In spite of being imprisoned, as soon as they were freed, they went right back. The captain of the temple, piece, the temple police led his officers to the temple and proceeded to bring the willing apostles back without violence. By now, the Sanhedrin was ready to resort to the most drastic measures, but they were afraid of the people lest they be stoned. The apostles' popularity and credibility with the people forced the authorities to proceed with caution. As with their prior arrest, the apostles offered no resistance. Remember, as Peter said, we need to endure it. Submission is one of the principles for handling persecution. Now, in verse 28, we have the apostles being tried by the Sanhedrin, and we see two major indictments. The first indictment was they had disregarded the orders of the Sanhedrin, which were the authority at the time. And the second indictment was they were insinuating that they were responsible for Jesus' death. Isn't that crazy? The high priest conveniently forgot that he and his associates said to Pilate, his blood be on us and our children. Also, there was no mention about the apostles' escape from prison, since the Sanhedrin could not explain that miracle. They simply ignored it. Peter's first statement to the Sanhedrin sums up the reason behind their persistence. Peter answered that they must obey God rather than men. And then Peter accuses the Sanhedrin as they are guilty as if they killed him, killed Jesus with their own hands. Not only had they put the Messiah to death, but they had put him to a shameful death on the cross. 
Peter then concludes by describing Jesus as the source of eternal life. Two interesting points we see here. First, the saved are characterized by obedience. Salvation is surrendering and obedience to the, to, to the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. Second, the Holy Spirit is given to every saved person at salvation. The Sadducees reject the notion of spirits or angels. So this went against their doctrine. Both points went against what the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin believed. Now, although his response was brief, the P Peter's sermon to the Sanhedrin was very powerful and convicting. He charged them with rejecting and executing the Messiah, and hence they were in rebellion to God. He did not play on their emotions or soften the confrontation, but he presented the truth. Conviction that leads to salvation can only take place when there is repentance in a person's heart and mind. Thus, to convicting preaching, there are only three possible reactions. Number one, people can react with violent hostility. Number two, people can react with tolerant indecision. And number three, people can react with saving acceptance. And this passage illustrates them all. Let's look at violent hostility. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Convicting preaching will inevitably provoke a hostile reaction to those hardened in sin. When the authorities heard Peter's bold presentation, they heard it as blasphemy. Instead of yielding to the truth, the authorities hardened their hearts as they had done to Jesus. The high priest and his fellow Sadducees were enraged for several reasons. One, the apostles had denied their doctrine by proclaiming the resurrection. Next, they had defiled the Sanhedrin's authority by preaching. And finally, they had assaulted their spirituality by charging the Sanhedrin with executing the Messiah. They also threatened the Sadducees' domination of the people by gaining popularity. The Sadducees had had enough, and they were intending to kill these apostles. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus said, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. When we present the gospel, we must take note even if they reject our message. They must take note, even if they reject our message. If the gospel we preach is not convicting enough to make some people angry, is it convicting enough to even bring them to salvation? Next, I want to look at the next reaction, tolerant indecision. Acts chapter 5, verses 34 to 40. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and it came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But, is it, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might be even found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Let's look into this passage. Here we see a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and he shows a prime example of what indecision looks like. Gamaliel was a prominent rabbi, and he was the leader of the liberal wing of the Pharisees. Gamaliel stood up in the council and gave the apostles and gave the order to put these apostles outside while they discussed the matter. So he then warned his fellow members in the Sanhedrin to take care of what you do to these men. Unlike the Sadducees, Pharisees both accepted the miraculous and sovereignty of God. Gamaliel's counsel reflects his belief that God was in control. And he then illustrates two illustrations before driving home his main point. The first illustration is a man named Thutis, who gathered 400 men. He eventually was killed, and the group dispersed. Second, there was a man named Judas of the Galilean. He also drew up a following, and eventually he perished, and the group dispersed. Gamaliel's main point was to adopt a wait-and-see policy, since if it, the plan should be of men, it'll be overthrown, like those of Judas and Judas. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be found fighting against God, something Peter had already indicted them for. So the Sanhedrin took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them to speak no more of Jesus. Then they released them. While Gamaliel's counsel may seem wise to the Sanhedrin, the notion of whatever succeeds has God's blessing is completely false. Cults and false religions in our day have millions of followers. God hates fence-sitters. Jesus also said, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Matthew 12, verses 30. If you are not with the Lord, you are against Him. There is no middle road. A decision must be made, and if the choice is not for the Lord, it is against Him. Finally, the last reaction people can have is saving acceptance. And we saw that as many, many people were added to the church. Let's read Acts chapter 5, verses 41 to 42. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing, that they were counted to be worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And the church kept growing and growing and growing. The apostles are great examples. They were not bitter or were seeking revenge for their suffering. Instead, they were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for Jesus. 
So they kept on teaching and kept on preaching Jesus as the Christ. They had a strong conviction and a strong faith that endured even through persecution. The early church was effective in its mission. They turned the world upside down. They were experiencing the most furious opposition, yet their numbers were constantly increasing. Brothers and sisters, we have a mission to preach the gospel. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15 to 16, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, another, fragrance from life to life. In conclusion, these are the four keys that contributed to the growth of the early church. Purity, power, persecution, and persistence. We also saw their reactions from the people surrounding them. Violent hostility, tolerant indecision, and saving acceptance. You may be asking, how does this apply to my life? Well, there are a few things we can learn from the early church. Number one, the importance of purity. To be useful to the Lord, an individual must be pure. That is the foundation. We are to live disciplined lives and imitate Jesus who is pure and perfect. Only then can we be an effective instrument in God's hands. Next, the power of prayer. The miracles we read about vanished with the disciples, but we all can attest to the power of prayer, and that still remains. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus said, with faith, we could move mountains. But, brothers and sisters, with prayer, we can move the hand of God. Next, the lack of persecution. We here in Canada are so fortunate. We're free, and we can gather freely to worship God. We need to take advantage of that situation and not lose sight of our mission. You may be ridiculed or mocked, but just as Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. Finally, the need of persistence. We can't give up no matter the circumstances and obstacles we face from life. We're only here on earth once, and we need to be that aroma of Christ to God for the people around us. Brothers and sisters, let us strive to be pure so that God's power can work through us. Let's pay for endurance to outlast all the trials we face, and let us have courage to persistently speak the truth so that we may be effective witnesses in the communities around us. Let's pray and close. Dear Father, we thank you for this day, O Lord. We thank you for being able to freely gather and freely study your word in this country, O Lord. Help us to have that zeal and desire to preach your word. O Lord, there are a few things that we need to work out. Help us to be pure, O Lord. Help us to confess our sins and help us to be disciplined just as the early church was, O Lord. Help us also to come to you in prayer and ask all things. We know that you are granted to us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, to have not be persecuted, O Lord. And even if we are, help us to focus that on your command rather than the commands of men. And Lord, help us, O Lord, to be persistent that we go and speak the truth to all those around us and that we may be a shining 
example in the communities around us. Help us, Lord, in this day and help us to be witnesses of Christ and help us to bring the message to all around the world just as you were, Lord. Help us to follow Christ 